Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 1. Now, the Bible talks a lot about sheep. Uh, and why not? Baby sheep are so cuddly and cute and soft. The Bible talks about sheep often. Remember, Jesus gave parables about the sheep, the lost sheep, the separation of the sheep and the goats. But Jesus also calls himself the Good Shepherd, which will be the central focus of our text for today. If you recall the context of our passage as we've been working our way through these I Am statements of Jesus, in John chapter 9, Jesus is doing this with the religious leaders. They are constantly butting heads over differences of opinion. In John chapter 9, specifically, Jesus heals a blind man and because the religious leaders think that Jesus is a demon possessed sinners they can't figure out how he has the ability to heal someone miraculously like giving them sight back Jesus ends chapter 9 with a very bold statement saying for judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind and then it turns to John chapter 10, verse 1, our text for this morning. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter into the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them all out of his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow the voice of a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus said this in a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief has only come to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I love when you're talking to somebody and all of a sudden they switch into talking to metaphors. Uh, Jennifer will often pull this number on me where we're talking and then all of a sudden she'll start spelling things out because the kids are there and because my brain functions much like a little child, I have to ask her, okay, do it again, and she spells it really slowly uh, for me. My favorite is when Madison, our oldest, will interrupt Jennifer and she says, she's spelling ice cream, daddy, geez. That's, I love that moment when my six-year-old gets the spelling of a word before I can. I love the fact that Jesus switches and starts speaking in metaphors and the Pharisees don't get it. They really don't. It says that in verse 6. They don't understand it. And I love that they don't understand it because sometimes I don't get it. So Jesus tries again in verse 7 by saying, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, I don't want you to be thinking gate like the gates of Mordor. That's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? All the inner Lord of the Rings fans are like, yay! Everybody else is like, what are you talking about? Uh, Jesus is talking about one specific type of gate that would have been in his day, and it was most likely like a courtyard in the front of a house. 
The Greek word used here is alou, which is kind of a sheep herder gate. And so it was a thing that helped surround the sheep. It was a thing that protected him. So what a beautiful thing that Jesus is teaching us in this moment. That Jesus is here to corral the sheep into a safe space to protect them. What a powerful image of Jesus, especially when we come out of John chapter 8 where the religious leaders drag the woman caught in adultery, thrown before Jesus, and Jesus physically stands between the religious leaders and their so-called sinners. Jesus is the gate. In verse 10 he says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. What a powerful image. What a powerful message to the Pharisees. What a stirring message to us. But then there's another group in the story besides this gate and the shepherd we'll get to. He talks about thieves and robbers. There's a similar text in Ezekiel chapter 34. The prophet Ezekiel delivers a message from God in which God says this. As sure as I am living God, because my sheep have been turned into mere prey, into easily meals for wolves, because you shepherds ignored them and only fed yourselves, listen to what God has to say. Watch out. I'm coming down on the shepherds and taking my sheep back. They were hired shepherds for my sheep. No more shepherds who just feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their greed. They're not going to feed off my sheep any longer. You know, for centuries, Jesus' words have been interpreted thieves and robbers in a lot of different ways. At first glance, it's easy to see that Jesus is calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers that are robbing the people of the privilege of God's love with their religious laws and regulations. Then there were the Sadducees and the ruling elite of Jesus' day that were in the back pocket of Rome. It was political and religious corruption at its most basic and toxic form. They could be interpreted as the thieves. In the Middle Ages, with the rise of superstitious thought, the thieves and robbers were always interpreted as the devil and his demons. And still for many, that's how they interpret the text today. But have you ever noticed that there's always someone else? There's always something else to blame? So I'd like for us to take a step back and maybe interpret this in a different way. We often don't get that Jesus tells jokes, and Jesus is telling a joke in this metaphor. And if you are a farmer or a merchant in Jesus' day, you would have known that he's telling a joke within this metaphor or parable he's sharing, but the Pharisees clearly don't get it. Jesus said twice that the sheep know their shepherd's voice and will only listen to him. Do you know anything about sheep? (laughs) Sheep could not be the more opposite of what Jesus said. While sheep bring a powerful image of life and commerce and religious sacrifice and relational connectedness within Scripture... Sheep are kind of weird animals. Let's just put it this way. They can't even keep themselves clean. As one author put it, it's a good thing that wool light works for wool, whether it's a sweater or still on the sheep. The best shepherds use it before shearing. You see, sheep can't help but to get their own poop wrapped up in their own wool and hair. Sheep are filthy animals. And when you hear a lamb's gleat, it sounds so gentle and cute. But like a grown sheep, it's... They're annoying animals. Sheep start off cute and cuddly, but then not when they turn to adulthood. 
Sheep are either suicidal or they're stupid. And probably a good mixture of both. And here's why. A sheep, a shepherd could be guiding a, a sheep in a particular way, but they will follow, follow wherever the flock is going. And if the flock in front of them leads them down a trench's path, they go that way. Shepherds have talked about that they will open a gate for the sheep and the sheep will walk right past it and keep going on their merry way. Sheep are hardwired to follow the sheep in front of them and so they are going to listen to whatever voice is calling them forward and so it might distract them and take them in different directions. If Jesus is honest, Jesus could not have picked a better animal to compare to humanity. And I know that sounds really harsh, so I will put myself at the front of the line saying, I'm a dumb sheep sometimes. How often do we lose sight of our way? How often do we get into stupid circumstances? How often do we wallow in the filth of our own decisions and relationships? How much do we emotionally charge into a situation only find that we are in the worst place we could be in? When it comes to life choices and relationships, ethics, character, economics, politics, money, day-to-day choices, we can be like sheep. I have a, this is hard for me to say, I have a lifelong condition. Um, It's called selective hearing. And Jennifer can attest to this at times that I'm in the middle of work and I cannot hear what's happening around me because I'm so zoned into it. Or if you're in a disagreement, not to say, for example, that Jennifer and I would ever get into a disagreement on anything. And I seem to only remember the things that I want to hear. And I think this is a guy thing. And every wife in this room is like, preach, preacher. You have never preached more closer to the gospel message than you are preaching this morning. But here's the thing. As Jesus talks about thieves and robbers, I think we sometimes can be our own thieves and robbers. How often are we so selective on what we want to hear from God in our life? Stop and think about that for just a second. Selective hearing is a form of stealing and robbing. We are, in fact, robbing ourselves of what the good shepherd is trying to say to us, where the good shepherd is trying to lead us. Now, we we can consider ourselves that we might be thieves and robbers. What might that look like? We are so easily convinced that the American dream, that more, that big and more comfortable and financial security and excess in life is what life is all about. We fall into that hook, line, and sinker so we cannot hear when the good shepherd says to us that God will give you enough for today. Your daily bread. That's what you need. We don't hear those parts of the Gospels. We become consumed with frustration and irritability and annoyance and anger towards our co-workers, our bosses, our neighbors, our spouses, our friends, that we can't seem to hear Jesus' words that call us to love others, but also to serve, to bless, and to do good to those who make our life difficult. When selfishness and self-centeredness fill our lives, we can't seem to hear Jesus when he says, put others before yourselves. When the lure of more activities, more hobbies, more trips weigh heavy into this consumeristic culture that we live in, we don't see and hear Jesus saying to live a life of simplicity and contentment. When sexism and xenophobia and homophobia and nationalism consume our hearts, we don't hear Jesus calling us into the life of compassion and inclusiveness and grace and justice for all. 
whenever else do we do in our life, when we're living our life, we are like sheep that go with the flock, that often lead us into unhealthy places. Can we be self-destructive? I'll bet the farm on that one every single time. You see, whether we want to admit it or not, we can be our worst thieves and robbers. We can steal from ourselves the life that God intends for us. And I will be as bold as to say that I often can't even trust my own ears because I hear what I want to hear. I can't even begin to imagine how many times in my life that I have chosen to listen to the voice of someone else instead of the Good Shepherd. So dirty and agitated and easily tricked, thoughtless, tangled, and matted in its own poop, we can be just like sheep. Whose voice do we listen to? Thank God the metaphor isn't over because Jesus says this in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Stop and think about the implications of that word good for just a second. What do you know to be good in this world? I recently experienced somebody buying me a cup of coffee that didn't know me from Adam and didn't want to receive credit. All they said to the barista was, here's some extra cash, I'm paying for this guy's coffee. Don't tell him it was me. I experience goodness every single night when I put my kids down to bed and they squeeze my neck and say, I love you, Daddy. Or as Aubriana would say, I love you, Daddy. A laundromat recently made news because uh, they were cleaning clothes for people who were unemployed and needed clean clothes so they can look presentable for a job interview. If we're honest, sometimes it's hard to think about examples of goodness in this world. I mean, we literally had to create a law called the Good Samaritan Law, in which somebody that gets injured while you are trying to help them in a crisis situation can't sue you because you tried to help them. That's how much our society is bent towards something that isn't goodness. We have to find remarkable examples to convince us. But on the other hand, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The Greek word used here is kalos, which means beautiful, worthy, noble, honorable, and excellent. Jesus is not saying, I am the opposite of the thieves and steal and take life and rob you of life. I am what is good and noble and honorable and excellent and beautiful. The great Frederick Buechner writes this, Like sheep, we get hungry and hungry for more than just food. We get thirsty and more than drink. Our souls get hungry and thirsty. In fact, it is often that the sense of inner emptiness that makes us known we have a soul in the first place. There is nothing that this world will give us. There is nothing that we have to give each other that will ever quite fill us. But once in a while, the inner emptiness is filled even so. Like a shepherd... Jesus feeds us. Jesus feeds that part of us that is hungry and most in need of feeding. Know that he is good. Know that is the meaning of the word. 
The good shepherd is not some hired hand, some person who you have to put wages into his hand to look after us. This tells us something beautiful of the nature of God, that God cares for us, that God sees us as God's beautiful possessions. Jesus told another parable about sheep in which he said, Suppose someone has a hundred sheep and one goes missing. The shepherd makes sure that the ninety-nine are secure and then sets out to find the one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he brings everybody together in the town and says, Rejoice with me for I have found my lost sheep. That is goodness. Goodness cares for the 99 to make sure they're safe to go set out and get the one. Goodness sets out on a journey to find that which is lost, what is sacred, what he holds to be true. What did the psalmist write in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack for nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in front of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why do we trust in so many other things? Why do we trust hired hands and thieves and robbers? Why do we follow the flock? Why do we not listen to the good shepherd? The good shepherd has come to bring us life and life to the full. So what does that look like to listen to the good shepherd? What's the religious games and motions that we have to do that's enough? How many times do we have to attend worship and community groups and tithe each month? Did you notice that Jesus didn't say any of that? What did Jesus say in verse 14? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Think about what you know for just a second. Outside of your vocation, your job, what do you really know that matters? I know a heck of a lot about outdoors, college football, and basketball, and movies, and history, theology, Bible studies, and hermeneutic dork right here. I would be the world's worst nightmare if you tried to play a Star Wars, Harry Potter, comic book, Lord of the Rings, or Dark Tower trivia game. You would lose if you faced off against me. Challenge accepted. I can embarrass you by singing every single word of the entire musicals of Greece Into the Woods and Les Miserables. I have perfected the knowledge of annoying my wife. This is the type of knowledge that Jesus is talking about? Is this what he's talking about? The Greek word used here is gnosko. It means to know, but it means something much more intimate. The best way to translate it is with the Hebrew word used, which is yada. It means to know something fully. There's a certain affection to it. For example, David was called a man after God's own heart in which to say, David desired to yada, to know God in full. Psalm 9.10 says, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you are Lord. You have never forsaken those who seek you. This is an invitation from Jesus. It's an invitation from God who knows you, who knows the very numbers of hairs on your head, who knew you as you were formed in your mother's womb, unless you were kind of a lab child created in some space. I don't, there's always an option out there. I don't know. You were in a test tube. I don't, that was how my parents said I was born. They said, we put you in a test tube, and then nine months later, you came out. 
They always said I was a weirdo. Anyways, uh, we'll flesh that out later on. God knows you. And this is an invitation from Jesus to know God intimately. To not just know about God, but to know God in full. Do you know the Good Shepherd? Do you know that the Good Shepherd is inviting you into life? Are you willing to listen to that voice? Are you willing to beckon yourself forward to follow the Good Shepherd, not to follow the flock, not to follow the thieves and hired hands? Stop and consider these words from Christ for a moment. Stop and consider who you are following in this world. What is good? What is noble? What is true? Do we seek after such things? The text wraps up here in verse 10, or verse 15. It says, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not in the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, the authority to pick it up again. This is the command I have received from my Father. You see, for the last six chapters of the Gospel of John, the religious leaders have been rivaling Jesus every move. He healed a crippled man, and the religious leaders barked at him because he did it on the Sabbath. They slung a woman caught in adultery before Jesus, and then they realized their self-righteous hypocrisy as Jesus told them, you without sin cast the first stone. So when Jesus says in this moment that there are other sheep outside of this sheep pen, He just threw a stick of dynamite into this theological debate. Because in the Jews' mind, they were the sheep pen. They were God's chosen people. For Jesus to say that there are people outside of this group that you think fits in here would have been a a stick of dynamite into their theology. But Jesus is saying that there are others that you have never imagined. And I wonder who we place outside the sheep pen. I wonder who we have excluded because we think they don't fit into God's family. But I also wonder what other sheep in this world don't recognize that they are their own thieves to their life. And what part do we play in all of this? One of my favorite stories um, about St. Francis uh, goes something like this. There was a town in Italy uh, called Gubbia. And it was a prosperous village, but they had a great problem. You see, a wolf was eating their livestock and attacking the people. Nothing in the townspeople could do could protect them from the wolves. A story came about that a shepherd went out with his son, and the, the wolf attacked the shepherd and his son and killed them. And the mayor of uh, Guboa announced that he would send three guards, his best men, into the woods to kill the wolf. And people waited in the town and they heard the clashing of metal and then it went silent. Later that evening, one survivor stumbled into the city and told them about this fierce wolf and all of his power. And fear filled the lives of the townspeople. The mayor consulted with his advisors and decided to see if Francis of Assisi could come and help them. And they heard that he could talk to animals and that God spoke to him. And so they invited Francis to come to them. 
Francis arrived there, they closed and locked the gates. They stood before Francis and begged him to go and do something. And as Francis listened to what he asked them to, he prayed. And he stated that the next morning he would go out and he would meet the wolf. And early the next morning he went out to find the wolf. He followed the track that the guards, the hired men had gone out to see him. And there he began to realize that the wolf was stalking him. He was circling around him as if to attack his prey. And seeing the wolf, Francis had a connection. He made the sign of the cross and called the wolf by name to meet him with grace and peace. And he said to the wolf, Come, brother wolf, I will not hurt you. Let me talk to you in peace. And the story goes that the wolf froze mid-step. Uncertain if he could trust this man. Uncertain of if he was playing some sort of trick on him. But it says that the wolf sat back on his haunches. St. Francis proposed a compact. In exchange for the wolf to promise to not kill the livestock and not kill the townspeople, the residents would feed him every single day of his life. Francis saying, Thou shalt no longer suffer hunger, he told the wolf, as it is hunger that has made you do evil in this world. The saint held out his hand to make a promise to the wolf. It's depicted throughout the ages in illustrations that soon the wolf lowered his head and reached out his paw to touch St. Francis. The invitation of Jesus, of being the good shepherd, is an invitation to follow this trustworthy leader. And sometimes we need the good shepherd to face off against our inner wolves. The wolf that devours others and ourselves. The wolf that will rob others of love and peace and joy and grace in this world. The wolf that will hunt down what is noble and good and true. At other times, we are called to be the good shepherd. Embarking out into the dark forest of this world to face off against ferocious wolves. We are called to be the good shepherds in our community and in this world. But are we willing to speak out and stand against injustice and corruption? That which will rob others of experiencing God's love and joy and mercy and equality and peace. Are we willing to stand beside others who might not belong in the sheep pen. As New Testament scholar Elisa McKenzie puts it, we each have a sphere of influence. Even if we don't think of ourselves as public figures, we are not all called to dramatic situations in which our physical life's on the line, but there is a less dramatic daily sacrifice involved in allowing the Good Shepherd to guide the way we offer guidance and nurture those we encounter each day. That means being vigilant to all that the world would threaten our flocks and not abandon our post during trying times.